I can just picture Obama just putting on one of those old powder wigs just for fun, <laughs> just dressing up to write his executive orders. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast, and boy, are we getting up there. This is episode number 99, if you can believe that. Before we get into today's show, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And what better way to get ready for our big 100th episode extravaganza coming to you this Monday. We've got a fun show planned for that. Be sure to tune in. What better way to get ready than with another episode of The Felony Report. The Felony Report. And to do that, it's time to invite in our resident expert on all things felonies, Lions of Liberty co-founder, author of the weekly Felony Friday column and co-host of this here edition of the Felony Report. That's right, John Odermatt. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? That was a lot of build-up for you, so... Yeah, but I probably underwhelmed a little bit there with my. Uh, I hope you live up, up to it. That was a pretty good, like, uh, an early '90s rapper sort of like. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? No, but it's not bad. Um, as we discussed before the show, I'm doing this on very little sleep. So if there are things that happen that that seem funny to me, uh, that aren't funny to everyone else out there, I apologize because right now it doesn't take much for me to laugh. And uh, John's yo yo yo, what's up? I loved it. I loved it. I hope I hope that you introduce yourself that way every time. To be honest with you. And uh, anyway, so what we do here, of course, for those that are not familiar with this show, with this edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast, it's sort of a sub show we do. It's where we take a look back on the past few weeks of your weekly column, Felony Friday, which can be found at... Would you like to tell people? Do you even know? <laughs> it can be found at lionsofliberty.com every Friday. Lionsofliberty.com slash Felony Friday. I'm trying to be specific. That's where, that's where the archive is, if you want to read it. We've been doing this for, uh, for two years. Coming up on two years. Wow, has it been that long? Every single article, every single Felony Friday ever written in one place at lionsofliberty.com slash Felony Friday. There we go. I had to hold your hand through that plug a little bit, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you half, half the credit for it. Only a half plug point there. And, you know, you can, you can find past editions of Felony Friday there. You can also find past editions of the Felony Report. And you can find all past editions of this show, the Lions of Liberty Podcast, over at lionsliberty.com slash podcast so there we go we got our plugs mostly out of the way maybe we'll plug a few more things on the way out but let's get into the meat of it let's take a look at the last few stories and we're gonna go all the way back to about ooh, five weeks or so ago and this is a you know i mean we, we cover so many tragic events and so many terrible things that happen all the time you do every single week on felony friday once in a while we got a nice story but you know it's usually there's usually some kind of tragedy involved in this one this one still blew my mind even though we you know we see terrible stuff we see police shootings beatings um you know all sorts of terrible terrible things and yet here we finally see something where i'm just blown away once again every every time i think i can't be topped one of your stories tops me so why don't you tell us about this this tale where this man he's a deaf man in virginia deaf he's a deaf homeless immigrant 
and he was in jail for six weeks. What did they deny him in that six weeks he was in jail? And what was he with? Why was he even in there in the first place? Yeah, this is just like you were saying. This is a completely insane story. Um, if you're ever having a, a bad day or a rough day, feeling down on yourself, just uh, click this story up, give it a read, and you will realize that your day is nowhere near as bad as this guy here. So uh, this story is, comes from Virginia. It was actually uh, forwarded to me. I got the little uh, hat tip here to uh, Howie Snowden. Yeah, you've heard him on the Lions of Liberty uh libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor before he's a, a guest there often usually the drunkest one usually the drunkest he gave me the hat the uh gave me the forward and so this is in uh, virginia his home state and uh what happened and i'm not even going to try to pronounce this guy's last name his first name um Abra- he can't even get his first name abraham um i think last name Starts with a Z. Can Let's I try it? it? Can I try it? Give it a shot. Yeah, go <laughs> Abraham Zemadaga Gehu. That's what I said. That's probably right. Let's go with that. I'm I mean, gonna still. I'm just gonna call him AZ. We'll go with AZ. All right, that's and, probably uh, good for now. It rolls off the tongue. So it's uh, this. Uh, hey, you can't hear us anyway, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I just had to. I had oh, to. Oh man, that's is that too soon? No, but he will read the transcript one day. He can read without hearing the words. Hopefully, uh, we're looking out for him though. So this guy. Uh, uh, Abraham, homeless guy, uh, deaf guy, living in Virginia. He's kind of made. Tries trying to find a place to crash for the night. Stumbles into uh, the airport there, into Reagan National Airport. Um, and he's looking for a place to sleep, get some shut eye. And he's laying on a, a bench, I guess, there, getting some rest. And police officers come up to him and start, you know, questioning him, questioning him. And he's unable to communicate. He's deaf and. Uh, his uh, native native sign language, actually, he, he's uh, you know can't really speak to communicate. But even in sign language, he communicates using uh, Ethiopian sign language. Uh, knows a little bit of American, but not much. So you can sort of picture the scenario in your mind: these cops, you know, trying to talk to this homeless guy. Probably when he's not understanding, they're yelling louder, thinking that that's going to make him understand. Um, they end up arresting him. Um, what happened was a, uh, someone in the airport said that Abraham stole uh, their iPad. So the cops arrest him, take him down to the police station. And this whole time going by, he has no idea what's going on. No idea why he's being arrested. I'm not even sure if he knows he was being arrested. Um, they uh, take him to the police station. He gets there. They don't um, go out of their way to bring in someone to communicate with him, um, sign language. Or there's also something called uh, that I learned about called an ASL interpreter, which uh, I guess this is a, a certain uh, type of interpreter that is common to uh, communicate with deaf people. They did not use that technique. So this whole time he has no idea what's going on. And he ends up pretty much being held in captivity here, being charged for stealing this laptop. And when they take him into court, he still has no idea why he's in court. You know, he sees the proceedings going on in front of him and no idea what's happening. This whole time, he's never had anybody communicate to him that in the language that he understands. All he knows is that he's in captivity. He's being taken by these men in uniform and the police. And that's pretty much the extent of his knowledge. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's crazy. And he ends up spending six weeks in jail, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's insane. And then on top of that, so in order to get out, just get out of there, 
I mean, he's in, in jail, not knowing why. In order to get out, he agrees to a plea deal just to get out of jail, just to get out of that situation. And this is a, a homeless guy too. So I mean, a lot of people have the stigma with homeless people. Maybe they, you know, they try to get arrested on purpose just to get, a, you know, a place to crash. This guy obviously was having an awful experience and, and wanted to get out of there. Um, agrees to a plea deal, um, and it comes out pretty much right around the same time as he agreed to the plea deal. Um, maybe it wasn't communicated. The, the prosecutors didn't communicate it to the judge that the the guy who accused Abraham of stealing his iPad, I guess, found his iPad or um, realized that this guy did not steal it because it, it turned up uh, turned up some other way. So there's been no crime committed, obviously, at this point since the the iPad has been accounted for. Yet the judge in the case, when the attorney takes it back after he's agreed to this plea deal to try to get the charges. I guess they would be expunged or just removed. The judge won't do it. It's just insane. Just such an insane story. And uh, there's a uh, a law firm that has taken on Abraham's case pro bono to try to get this conviction thrown out. This uh, what he plead to this uh, this felony plea. So the, the whole story is just completely off the wall bonkers. I would encourage you to to, to read it uh, from start to finish yourself, just to digest how completely ridiculous it is that is ridiculous and then what was their legal justification did, did they have to give any justification for holding him for that amount of time for six weeks or just because he in their mind wasn't cooperating because he didn't really have any idea what was going on they had justification to keep holding him is that basically what was happening um yeah i, I don't i don't think that there's uh there was no specific justification pointed out i mean that, i think that was just the uh the time it took <laughs> who the who the heck knows? That's that's the system we have, I guess. It it just takes that long to to process someone. Good God! Um, unfortunately, it didn't take another week. Then they would have hopefully found the the iPad and would have been communicated. Just could have been set free without having to deal with this headache of uh, fighting to get the conviction overturned. So yeah, just crazy. All right, so let's move on to a slightly, just kidding, no, this is also a depressing story. It's not It's not a slightly better story at all. Uh, this one is entitled, Police Tactics Should Be Questioned in the Shooting of a Georgia Man. So why don't you tell us about this shooting of a young man named Nicholas Taft Thomas, which occurred, I believe, last month. Yeah, so this is a, uh, a town outside of Atlanta, um, Smyrna. Smyrna. Smyrna, Georgia. I might be butchering that if anyone from uh, that town is listening. You can uh, you can tweet tweet the show tweet uh, at Lines of Liberty and correct me and I won't I won't even know if you're correcting me because they'll just be spelling unless, it. No, it's pronounced you, Smyrna. Smyrna. Unless Wait, you what? tweet phonetically, I don't know. So maybe don't tweet. I don't know. Do whatever you want. Anyway, so this this uh, this guy Nicholas Taft Thomas is working at a Goodyear tire store, and uh, he had a, a probation violation. He violated his probation, so. Uh, at least three uh, police officers from the local Smyrna station um, showed up at this Goodyear, in addition to three Cobb County police officers. Um, so all, you got six cops at least. I mean, it's kind of odd that you say at least. You'd think they'll know the, the number exactly. So you've got at least six police officers showing up to um, try to arrest this guy who has violated his probation. So um, you kind of paint the picture in your mind. All these cops show up. This guy's working at a good year. He has access to a vehicle. He happens to be working on a Maserati. He jumps in the Maserati and tries to drive away. 
there's sort of some conflicting uh, reports from uh, witnesses who, who, who saw this whole scene unfold in front of them. Um, some of the witnesses are saying that as he drove out, he kind of kind of blocked himself and he couldn't go any farther, kind of cornered himself in with the uh, Maserati. Another witness says that he actually did come at the police officer with the car. Of course, the police officers are saying that um, he was um, trying to hit the police officer with his vehicle. Um, Either way, really, uh, what happens next, it's, it's pretty hard to justify. The police officers unloaded several rounds into the into the uh, into the Maserati this man was driving, killing him. Um, and the, the the title the title of this uh, of this uh, article you know questions the police tactics. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can look at this. I mean, do you really want to try to arrest this guy at his place of work where there's tons of other people around? Uh, oh, something else to add. He did have a history before of fleeing during an arrest. So you should know that in the back of your mind, a police officer trying to arrest this guy at a uh, place that has access to vehicles everywhere. This guy has tried to flee before. That should sort of be in your mind. Like that, that, that could happen again. But regardless, the cops showed up, at least six of them, and tried to arrest him. And when he tried to flee, they just started shooting. Um, you could argue maybe they should have shot the tires out. Maybe they should have done something completely different and not even tried to uh, arrest him in that place. A little more game planning and trying to mitigate the risks would have been a little bit better in my mind. So unfortunately, a, a young man is dead. And um, obviously, there's no coming back from that. So a very unfortunate situation. And this was not someone who was armed, correct? He was just simply fleeing from the police. He was not. Yeah, he was not armed with a firearm. Um, you could argue that he was armed with a with a vehicle. Sure. So, I mean, what 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 do you think the police should be doing? I mean, obviously they're coming to arrest him, and he's fleeing. I mean, I mean, how else are you supposed to stop? I'm not, I'm not trying to justify their tactics. I'm just trying to sort of play devil's advocate because a lot of people out there listening might be thinking, well, what are they supposed to do when the guy jumps in his car? I mean, sh- I mean, I don't know what the, the the training dictates, but are they supposed to just shoot his tires out? Or I mean, are they worried this guy could, like you said, he's he he might not have a gun, but a Hey, a car's a weapon. You can easily hurt someone. So maybe that was just the way they saw to, the, to have to stop him. Maybe they just saw they had no choice. Again, playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I can see, in some ways, see both sides. Well, not really both. I can see both sides too. I mean, you know, it's. I, I guess the. I just. I'm just trying to raise. You know, raise the alarm here that you know stuff like this is always not always, but it seems like you know you read about this in the newspaper and it's just kind of swept under the rug. You know. Officers try to arrest a guy and they shoot him and kill him. And I, I, I mean, I'm just trying to get people to think, you know, how how could this be done differently? Um, this is a guy that was that was free. I mean, he he was he was working, he was on probation, but he's he's a, a free individual. There there has to be a better way to do this. I mean, these police officers are going into a place of business, obviously armed, in the middle of the day, where there's going to be other customers around. That seems like a strange tactic to just show up at, at yeah, the guy's work yeah. instead of actually just trying to arrest him at home. It seems very strange. It seems a little, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, a little provocative, know, flamboyant, or, yeah. It's, it's over the top. I don't know, it seems like something out of a movie. Um, couldn't you do this more discreetly somehow? And I, I mean, I, maybe there was no other way. Maybe he, maybe, maybe they had to, I don't know why they would have to arrest him uh, at, at his place of work. Maybe, I mean, 
they had to have a you know a place where he lived. They, they had to know an apartment or something, a halfway house where he was staying. Um, why couldn't they just arrest him when he comes in? But I th- he, he was being arrested for violating his probation for not meeting with his probation officer. So yeah, it's 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 a tough one, and it was just, it was just one that I wanted to bring to the attention. Um, stuff like this should be questioned, should be scrutinized, and I'm not saying the officer was necessarily at fault, but there's got to be ways to prevent this. In a civilized society, we can't just sweep this stuff under the rug and allow it to be acceptable behavior without being questioned. Sure, and it seems like police, or at least a lot of the stories you look at, police are often putting themselves unnecessarily in a situation that becomes violent, or or people are, tend to call the police sometimes, like the case of that man who called to the nursing home to take his meds, and the nursing home called the cops. Now suddenly you got cops showing up at a nursing home, killing an old man in the middle of the day, and you know, you can think of all the scenarios that led to how that actually happened, and maybe you can even piece together a circumstance where you can even say the cops were justified every step of the way, but there's something wrong with this system when things like this are happening, when people aren't taking their meds or when people just didn't meet with her probation officer and the next thing you know they're dead when there there was not necessarily a violent encounter going before that so i mean it's very possible like we said that the police were justified every step of the way here uh, there's a lot of things we don't really know but it does seem like this kind of stuff just seems to happen so often and and like you said there just has to be a better way to at least for for police tackets to look at these things and i think a large part of it goes back to the fact that the police generally just are not accountable, even in situations where they might be justified in their actions, the lack of accountability in the system is going to make people question those things all the time and, and just build to the kind of resentment that leads to even more conflicts and violence between the police and everyday citizens. So, you know, we got to try to quell this stuff as much as possible, but, and, you know, I, I, we don't want to incite people to be angrier at the police generically for any reason, but at the same time, we can't just let stuff like this just slip to the wayside and let these lives be lost without at least giving these circumstances, you know, careful scrutiny and at least trying to ask the questions, the larger questions about our systems, our, our systems of policing, of arresting people and, and why they seem to lead to needless death so often. So I think that's why you pointed the story out. And that's why that's why we're still harping about it here. Absolutely. Now, the next one here, it's a little bit of a, a clickbait title, I think, if we were to be honest, because this this doesn't specifically mention Edward Snowden, but it does seem like a very obvious tie-in, and that was an executive order recently uh, given by President Obama, and why don't you just tell us what this executive order is all about and how it actually ties into Edward Snowden, as your title suggests. The title of this article is Executive Order Prohibits Donations to Edward Snowden. Yeah, so this, I guess it is a little bit of clickbait, maybe. I apologize for that. No, but, no, hey, no, if you apologize. It, <laughs> it got a lot of clicks, so, I mean. Yeah, if you clicked it and you enjoyed it, you know, I, I didn't get any negative feedback on it, there so I guess, I, guess it, I guess it served its purpose. But so th- this executive order um, that Obama signed a couple weeks ago, I think it was on a Thursday or Friday. You know, these things always kind of happen, you know, towards the end of the day, and they're not really reported. It was on a Friday that you wrote this article because it was Felony Friday. So, <laughs> Executive order is titled, Blocking the Property of Certain Persons Engaging in Significant Malicious Cyber-Enabled Activities. And uh, I will uh, quote here a uh, part of the executive order here. The executive order declares a national emergency to deal with the threat of increasing prevalence and severity of malicious cyber-enabled activities originating from or directed by persons locating in whole or in substantial part outside the United States, 
constitute an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States. So th that's uh, um, the, the beginning of the executive order. Section one of the executive order talks about freezing the assets of the cyber criminal. So the, uh, the, the cyber criminal in the United States. So th this would be freezing the assets of Edward Snowden. And Obama leaves the discretion up to whose assets will be frozen or, or when this executive order would be utilized, leaves it up to the Secretary of the Treasury, Attorney General, and Secretary of the State to determine you know, if the criteria of this executive order are even met, which is, I mean, a little troubling <laughs> in itself. Why do we accept this system where <laughs> the president can just sort of wave his wand or wave his hand and now we suddenly have a, a new law in place effectively. It's not technically a law, it's an executive order, but it, it, it essentially acts like a new law. I mean, is this something that there's any opposition to out there? I, I mean, there's opposition right here on this show. You know? I mean, yeah, right here there I, is. I, but. I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, it does seem like, you know, the majority of Americans just hear executive order and it doesn't matter if it's Barack Obama, George Bush, or I guess I should say when it's Barack Obama who does it, it's the Republicans who get upset. When it's George W. Bush who does it, it's the Democrats who get upset. But yeah, it's only really libertarians or people that really um, value individual rights, value uh, property rights and, and liberty that actually, you know, hold the principle that this is this is violating the the freedoms of individual rights it's 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 insane that a, a president can just you know i'm sure he didn't draft it i'm sure it was drafted for him but just sign this into law wait are you suggesting that presidents don't literally sit down with their ballpoint pen and their quill and dip it into like a little jar of ink and write their executive orders out yeah, I could be wrong. I could. He might have wrote this himself with a, with a, you know, maybe uh, one of those old school pens, you know, with the feather and you know, nice cursive handwriting. Huh, there you know. I wish. And he, I get this picture of Obama just putting on one of those old powder wigs just for fun, <laughs> just dressing up to write his executive orders. But you never know. You never know, man. That's how I picture. Basically, I picture the White House like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Some crazy, some crazy stuff goes on there. <laughs> So, yeah, the executive orders, insane. I mean, probably most people listening to this show, I would think, probably agree with that. This executive order, maybe a little more draconian than some other ones. I don't know. There's just a lot of bad ones out there. So where this ties into the uh, Edward Snowden donation thing, and I think I originally found this on a, on a big Bitcoin uh, news site, and it was tied into um, limiting donations to Edward Snowden via via Bitcoin. Wait, but I thought Bitcoin was anonymous. Yeah, it's not. It's not <laughs> anonymous at all. You got bad oh, information. Okay. It's actually the opposite, huh? <laughs> exactly. They, they can okay. they can track they can track everything you're transacting with your bitcoins. So section two and three of this executive order relate to um, making donations. People here in the United States making donations to those people pointed out in section one of the executive order, the uh, cyber criminals that the uh, secretary of the treasury and uh, all those uh, clowns in the cabinet are going to, going to decide who exactly has violated the criteria of this uh, executive order. So this two and three ban assisting these individuals with, with donations, either, you know, cash or Bitcoin or, or anything of the sort or any other, um, assistance, I guess, that this very vague executive order deems to be assistance, which 
And if you buy him an ice cream or something, they'll hey, confiscate that's, that's assistance. Yeah, yeah man. I have a beer, maybe some ice sushi. <laughs> if you have sushi with Edward Snowden, watch out. Watch out. Your assets may be frozen. I, w- I wonder if John Oliver, I don't know, did you see that interview with John yeah, Oliver? Yeah, I did. That was it, good stuff. Is that assisting Edward Snowden? I don't know. It might be. It, it got him uh, some media exposure, I guess. I'm sure he made some money off of it, right? Uh-huh. I don't know. Quite possibly. If John Oliver gets gets uh, his assets frozen, I think I guess we'll know. I guess it'll be our fault. Sorry, John. (laughs) Because Obama didn't realize that interview happened until he was listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Wait a minute! I gotta go check this out. John Oliver, I love that guy. Anyway, that was my Obama impression. By the way, one more thing to add on this one, then we can move on. Section seven, probably the most draconian and troubling part of this terrible, terrible executive order. It's where uh, the president claims in the interest of national security that the authorities in the U.S. can seize and hold an individual's wealth without giving any prior notice. So there doesn't have to be any justification, doesn't have to be any um, notice served. They can just show up at your house and just seize your wealth, seize your assets. Um, pr- pretty insane, really. Um, so, And that's the real felony. The government seizing people's assets that is the real that, when they haven't actually violated the rights of anyone else. And that's how this qualified for Felony Friday. That's In case you're wondering <laughs> how this qualifies. All right, John, we got just a couple more stories to take a look at. But first, I got to take a second to tell everyone about our sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. All right, let's move on to another story. And this one's uh, this one's really in your wheelhouse, kind of of why you started this this little venture, this little Felony Friday venture, and how you came to feel a plight for felons. Yeah, the the, the plight of felons, the there plight of go. felons. So this uh, this one is regarding um, Apple, a little uh, tech company maybe you've heard of. A little mom and pop shop? Yeah, a little mom and pop shop. Started by, you know, a guy named Steve used to head it up and he, he passed away. It's about Apple building their new facility, huge, ridiculous campus in Cupertino. Is that how you say it? You're from California. That is, Cupertino. Cupertino, California. So they're, they're building this huge, ridiculous facility out there. And sure, why not? God bless them. And there were some felons that their contractor, you know, Apple's not building them themselves. They contracted out to probably a, a management team. And then that management, construction management team contracts out to subcontractors. So one of those subcontractors or maybe a couple of them had some felons working on the job. So Apple said this violated their policy. They can't have felons working for some reason, it was only at that construction site because they claimed they had felons working in other areas. 
But anyway, they had these these people kicked off the job, and they, they caught a lot of flack. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of flack. Probably most people have never heard of it, but they caught they flack. Some flack. They caught flack in the libertarian community, I guess, and the tech community a little bit for people that, that cared. Um, so enough flack for them to reverse their decision. And uh, when they reversed it, you know, they, they said, you know, we believe in equal opportunity for everyone. And, you know, they obviously took the ban away. And I don't know if they've hired any felons yet. That has not been released. But re- really the, the article and the reason I wanted to write it, because Apple CEO Tim Cook, um, as many people know, is gay and he's an outspoken advocate for, for gay rights, um, for inclusion and for equality for all. And, you know, that's something that I think Apple as a whole tries to, uh, that, that's, I mean, th- throughout their workplace, throughout um, anything they touch, they try to send that message. And for uh, a company like Apple to just be so hypocritical and just really hold down these felons from getting an equal chance when, I mean, they've already served their time for the felonies they committed. They are back in uh, society. They're supposedly free and yet Apple is not going to allow them to work in construction on a uh, on a huge project that who knows it, it could be you know something that these these felons need just to get back on their feet it could be the only job that they were able to find in the past i don't know 5 10 years who the heck knows i mean it's it's just a severely hypocritical action by Apple to do this it's great that they reversed their decision but it just shows that um you know that really lacks the integrity behind their message of inclusion and equality. That's that's what I took from it. I don't know. Yeah, there was a, one, a couple uh, forums that linked to this article, and I, I saw the same kind of comments from people, and they were kind of along the lines of, well, you know, these felons broke the rules at some point, and, you know, you shouldn't have people working for you that can't that show that they can't follow the rules and it seemed that there's a lot of attitude out there about as if anyone that ever makes a mistake or breaks a rule or commits a felony or anything should just automatically be disqualified from i don't know every right they can ever have like they what they can never work again now they can never have a gun and defend themselves again no matter what the felony i mean well to what extent do people seem to want to deprive people of their rights for just having one felony on their record in their entire life it seems so crazy especially when so many people are arrested for felonies that are indeed victimless crimes, um, drug possession, drug distribution, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it really is amazing to me that I'm surprised they could even run a job site like that without hiring felons because so many people are felons nowadays. I mean, you, you dealt with this when you were out here in California. You had you had to bring in people to uh, to look at to hire, and many of them were convicted felons. And you actually did hire felons. Wasn't that right? Yeah, yeah. when I lived in uh, Riverside, California, worked in Colton, Colton is, I mean, I don't know if everyone out there knows where Colton, California is. It's known as part of the Inland Empire. It's a pretty industrial area. It's out in the uh, out in the desert, about an hour east of L.A. It's it, and it's sort of a rough area. God, um, why do they call it an empire? I've always wondered that. Really, I, it doesn't I, feel I, like I much of an empire when you're there. Yeah, it does have an empire. <laughs> it's more like a desolate wasteland, but you know, that's a that's a side note. Inland Empire sounds a little. No better, offense to anyone who lives in the Inland Empire. It's, desolate. It's, Wasteland Empire, or whatever. <laughs> Inland wasteland isn't quite as catchy, I guess. One of my jobs, in my I was a management trainee at the time, so I was in a rotation. And yeah, one of my jobs, when I worked in HR, I would screen applicants and I would interview them. And I mean, I'm not even um, exaggerating. Probably fifty percent um, had a either had been charged with a felony or had been convicted of a felony. And if we got rid of those people just just because of that. 
we wouldn't have been able to stay open for business. I mean, the pool was just not large enough. And, uh, you know, we ended up hiring uh, a, a lot of felons. I mean, a, a significant amount. And I mean, they were they were good people. I mean, from what I knew, they were they were hard workers. So it's, you know, people make mistakes. And maybe a little thought experiment for the listeners out there. Um, think about maybe the worst thing you've done in your life, maybe not even in your life, maybe in the past year. And then think about if your employer, maybe your prospective employer, were to know about that. Would they hire you? I mean, that's that's a lot of sort of the same thing that felons deal with on a you know daily basis or maybe not daily basis, but when they go for a new job, when they apply for, for a loan, for a mortgage, you know, that follows them everywhere. Being known for the probably one of the worst possible moments of their life. Um, or, I mean, depending on how you look at, you know, the drug laws, I'm, without bringing that in, the, maybe the worst mistake of their life in the, in the context of violating um, laws, um, whether you feel if those laws are just or not. Um, it's just something to think about. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly there's some people that maybe you never want on a job site again, like a, a dangerous criminal or someone who's murdered multiple people. But those people are, are still in jail. And, and once a felon has served his sentence, I mean, if the sentence is for X amount of years and then he completes that sentence and, you know, has, has committed no no wrongs in the meantime, I mean, at what point do we consider that person an actual citizen who has actual rights again, who can actually join society and work and get jobs just like the rest of us and defend themselves just like the rest of us and get a mortgage just like the rest of us. I mean, it seems insane. There's some seems to be people out there that seem like seem to think a felony should be a lifelong conviction to just not be an equal citizen, which uh, just seems crazy. That means every felony is a life sentence to at least probation for, for, for all intents and purposes to so not being able to fully rejoin society. And, and that's got to change because if we don't let people really rejoin society, well, they're just going to return to felonies and maybe commit even worse felonies just to survive. So it's obviously a big issue. I know that's it's kind of what got you into this whole felony issue in the first place. So I'm glad we're uh, we're seeing some progress on this issue, at least in this one case. Uh, now there's one more case we're going to touch on, and uh, this time we'll, we will, well, I don't know if it's a positive note. I think any anything with pot cookie in the subject has to be a positive note, but there's actually an interesting spin to this recent case. So why don't you tell us about this kid who was uh, recently arrested for giving a pot cookie to his teacher? I should try to interview the teacher, first of all, just to see uh, how the rest of his day was. was. You should. You should. That might, that might be for a different podcast, though. <laughs> so this, uh, this teenager um, you know, gave a pot cookie to his teacher without his teacher's knowledge. I'm not sure exactly the manner that was done, if it was if, you know, hit it in another group of cookies or if it was uh, if he said his mom baked cookies and, and, and brought them in and slipped a pot cookie in. It doesn't really matter. This cookie was given to the teacher without the teacher's knowledge, and the teacher got um, stoned from it and started feeling sick or started feeling high, and um, was able. They were able to figure out that it was from from the cookie, maybe because the kid was laughing. I I, I don't know, but uh, so this kid gets arrested and he's charged with a felony. And I was, I mean, I've been getting a lot of feedback on this story from people on Reddit. I guess just reading the title and thinking that I'm defending this this teenager for doing this. But if you read the entire article, you'll see that I'm absolutely not doing that. The reason I wanted to write about this and wanted to uh, wanted wanted to bring it to attention is because the kid is being charged with a felony for delivering for delivering the marijuana for delivering a drug, and that's really not the crime here. I mean. That's really not the, the, the rights that were violated. The rights that were violated 
were giving this teacher a drug, a, a substance, a potentially harmful substance without the teacher's knowledge, without the teacher's consent. And that, that's, that's the crime. Um, the, the crime really, you know, the, the, the drug charge is, I understand where that comes from. You know, it's, it, technically, yes, he did deliver a drug. That is a violation of the current law. But this just shows you how our current laws do not actually focus on rights violations. They focus on other things like man-made laws regulating um, transactions with plants. So uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, the major reason why I wanted to bring this into focus, because I think that is entirely missed. And with, with, uh, with this teenager being charged, with delivering a drug, it really, it clouds the entire case. Um, I don't see any way that he will get a just sentence, either too harsh or maybe not harsh enough, without the, the rights that he violated being defined. I mean, this teacher could have gotten in a car and died. You know, if he, if, if he ate the cookie right away, got in the car, maybe he's never been high before, dries for 10, 15 minutes, or I don't know, however long it takes a pot cookie to take effect. You know, edibles, um, I've heard, um, can have you know, serious, you know, like a, a, a. Yeah, you and I were doing some research the other day on this. We were reading some articles yeah, I've about read a lot of, the, read the a lot of articles of about this the, yeah. many years ago. And edibles, they give you, they can give you like a full body high. Imagine this teacher driving down the freeway seventy miles an hour. They're out of their mind. Their their bodies, you know, going numb or whatever. They could die, especially if you don't know you took it. You might just think you're literally losing your mind. Yeah, they could they could kill someone else. I mean, it, it could have been awful. I mean, this is a very serious crime, and it's definitely being skewed. They're not addressing the rights violation. That's what I think is ridiculous. Here's what's going to happen. This kid's going to get far too harsh a punishment for distributing marijuana and far too little of a punishment for violating his teacher's rights by giving him this drug unbeknownst to himself. He won't receive any punishment for that crime. He will receive only the punishment, the arbitrary punishment for the arbitrary man-made crime of just possessing this substance or just giving the substance to people. He would likely receive the exact same treatment if he had given the cookie to a teacher consensually and the teacher said, oh yes, thank you for this pot cookie. The charge would be exactly the same and that, that's the real problem here. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that really crystallizes the argument there. The charge would be no different in this case if the teacher consented to it. I mean, if, if that doesn't point out how um, just wrong this, this charge is, then I don't know what will. Well, hopefully us talking about it here on this podcast will. That's why we do this thing every, uh, I don't know, it was, been, it was five weeks since we did the last show. So uh, why don't we say we do this every five or six weeks? We'll see how it actually turns out. But we will keep doing this show. The Felony Report. The Felony Report. Keep coming back. You can find it at lionsofliberty.com, as we said. Uh, you can also find our show in so many different ways. You can find us over on iTunes and subscribe over there. Find us on Stitcher Radio. Listen to us on the weekends at libertytalk.fm. Throughout the week at lrn.fm. And where else can you find it, Odie? I don't know. You can even listen to it. Do you have an Amazon Echo yet, Odie? <laughs> don't even bring that up with me. If, any, if anyone from Amazon is listening, I want an Echo more than anything in the world. I want an Echo more than anything in the world. I've been asking for an Echo since last fall, and I, they never fulfill my invitation. Every time I go back, it says, request another invitation, request another invitation. Just give me an Echo. Just give Come me on. an Echo. Just give me an Echo. Wow.
Wow. Okay. All right. That's probably a good good way to end the show. My point being, you can also listen on your Echo by asking Alexa to listen to the Lions of Liberty podcast on TuneIn, and she will find it. Or she will kind of stutter around and say, I cannot find the podcast Liberty on TuneIn for a while. But I'm sure they're just working out the kinks. But usually you can get it to work to play the Lions of Liberty podcast for you. So, Or maybe it's a CIA scheme to... So people can't listen to the podcast. On the next edition of Felony Report, we'll discussing we'll be discussing Odie's felony charge for his uh his assault at the Amazon headquarters and his his kidnapping of Alexa. That's a joke. That's a joke. Not happening. It's, it's probably probably a joke. Well, if you're gonna do do anything crazy, at least wait until we record our 100th edition. That's right. In our very next episode, this coming Monday, we will have the 100th episode extravaganza here at Lions of Liberty Podcast. We're going to have sort of a, an amalgamation of shows. We're going to have, so there's going to be some liquor being poured, for sure. So let's get kind of a Libertarians in the Living Rooms Drinking Liquor show. Uh, maybe we'll talk about some felonies. The Felony Report. Maybe it'll be a felony report. We're we'll probably talking about Rand Paul at some point. Rand Paul. And minuses. It's a ramp plus and minuses. It's everything all in one. We'll even have some past guests on, some surprises, some people popping in. So it's going to be a good old fun liberty filled time. And until then, what do we got to tell everybody to do for us, John? We got to tell everybody to live long and live free. And live free. La 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 la. Can you hear me? Can you still hear me? Can you still hear me? Can you still hear me? And I still sound just the same. Sound exactly the same. Sound exactly the same. Sound exactly the same. Head of Editing and Mastering is John Dahlberg.